Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Glad you're here. Got a special guest today. His name is Blair Havel or Halver. Sorry, Blair. I want to say ha- oh, um, uh, the, the guy from the Czech Republic used to be the uh, pr- president of the Czech Republic. Havel. Havel. No. Just, yeah. uh, do you remember that? <laughs> anyway, sorry. Hey, listen, I'm excited about this podcast here, guys. We're going to be talking about creative financing. We're going to be talking about lease option deals, the deals that Blair's doing, and some of the really cool creative stuff going on in the business. I just want to make a quick announcement. This is so exciting. Guess what I picked up Friday. Today's Monday as we're recording this. I picked up my new book from the UPS store. They sent me an early edition. And uh, this is such good stuff here. I call it all killer, no filler. You can get my book at reisecrets.com. This book has been the culmination of a couple years of effort, and I'm excited about it. It's a thick book. It's about almost an inch thick, and um, I've been doing the podcast since 2011. I've been the last four years taking out episodes, and I call them REI in your car episodes, where I'm actually recording a podcast while I'm driving in my car, as dangerous as that might sound, but I'm I'm just holding the phone like a microphone. I'm not doing video. I've taken the best of those, and I've turned them into blog posts and articles and emails and stuff like that. And I've combined them into this book. And so this book is a culmination of, of uh, these podcasts. And it's just they're daily nuggets of real estate investing wisdom to help you get more leads and close more deals. And just as an example, I opened up right here to chapter 37, Focus Will Make You Rich. And it's just a couple pages, but I talk about in there, staying focused, shiny objects will make you go blind, Focus Will Make You Rich. Little things like that, these chapters are designed for that you can just read one every day and get some golden nuggets of juicy real estate investing wisdom, like chapter 67 right here, okay? Know what your buyers want, right? Know what your buyers want, and you'll do well in this business. So go get it. It's my best book ever, period. I'm super excited about it. All right, enough about me. Blair is on the house, in the house, on the podcast. And um, Blair, uh, I've, I've watched him for the last few years with uh, some of the marketing that he's been doing. He's kind of known for doing some really good creative marketing strategies and tactics and techniques. And um, he's still in that business, but he's also doing a bunch of deals. And uh, so I sent out a post recently saying, hey, I'm looking for some guys that are doing, and ladies, that are doing lease option deals, doing some creative deals. And um, Blair raised his hand. I said, man, hey, tell me what you're doing. I said, this is awesome. I'd love to get you on the show and talk about it. And that seems like it was a long time ago when we talked last, Blair. Is that right? Yeah, it was a few weeks ago now. Okay. So he's here. He's here. And I'm going to show you. There's his name, Halver, Blair Halver. I want to say Havel because what's his first name? Havel, the president of the Czech Republic, a real famous yeah, guy. Okay, right. it's not you. So, man, uh, welcome to the podcast. Glad you're here, Blair. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. All right, so talk about you for a little bit here, okay? 
Um, what got you started in the real estate investing business? Yeah, you know, the year I got married, long time ago now, 12, 13 years ago now, I read that book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I'm sure we've all read that or most yeah. people listening to this. And, you know, for I think for a lot of people in this business, that's what started them off. And so as soon as I read that, I was like, oh, man, I got to start doing some real estate deals here, right? And I started doing some wholesaling deals, virtual wholesaling. I was living in L.A. at the time and doing deals back here in my home market in North Carolina, where I live now. Um, and then through those deals, I realized that, you know, the, the part that I was best at and the part that I enjoyed the most was the actual marketing and lead generation part. And I thought, well, what if I could just do that part for other investors across the country? And so that was the, the start of my company, DealBot. We did uh, done for you motivated seller lead generation for several years. Started that back in 2009. We've since converted that done for you service into a sort of show you how to do it service. And um, what we found is that our clients actually get better results that way when they're involved in the process of generating the leads with us showing them how to do it and that sort of thing. Okay, that's cool. And yeah. uh, what kind of deals do you do then? Yeah, so, you know, when I started out, I was doing wholesale deals, as I mentioned. I kind of stopped doing deals for several years. So I was just focusing on the marketing service. Uh, but just about three or four years ago now, I, I you know, saw all my clients, you know, get, making these huge paychecks off these leads I was generating for them. And I was like, man, I got to start doing the, you know, my own deals again. So I actually, uh, instead of going the wholesale route again, I went into the creative financing business and doing what uh, one of my mentors, Ron Grant, would call terms deals, pretty house deals, you know, lease options, sub two you know, seller finance, all that sort of thing. And so now I've, you know, gotten my house business to the point where 95% of it is delegated or automated. And so I only spend a few hours a week in that business and we'll do a handful of deals a month. It's not like we're doing millions of dollars or anything, but it's a lifestyle business for me. You know what I mean? Definitely. I love lifestyle business. And that's what I've yeah. really been trying to focus heavily on, right? Why do you like creative deals, Blair? What is it about creative deals, pretty houses that Ron the Grand teaches that I've been teaching for a long time? What is that about? What do you like about that? Well, I like that, uh, as, as Ron put, uh, describes them, he calls them golden goose deals. You get paid on the front end a big chunk of money. You get the monthly spread over time. And then you got some back-end equity if and when they ever cash you out. So whether you're doing a sandwich lease option or you're taking title on the front end, sub two or seller financing and then selling on a lease option. You know, I, I like the longer I own the property, the more money I make on it. And so that's the big draw for me. But the other part is, you know, if I can uh, convert more leads into deals, then my revenue per lead goes up, means I can pay more per lead if I want to or have to, which allows me to dominate my market then because now all of a sudden I can convert one out of 24 deals as opposed to one out of 50 deals as most wholesalers might run into. Great point. People forget that. They may think, well, why would I want to do lease options when I can do wholesaling? But the thing you're forgetting is you're going to go from getting one out of every 20 or 30 offers accepted to one out of every 15, 20. Did I, did I say that right? Yeah. You're going to get yeah. more offers so. accepted when you can offer options, right? You know, so yeah. what do you, Blair, what do you do when you're out there marketing for leads and you're talking to sellers? Is your marketing saying, hey, do you want to 
do a lease option on your house or do you want to own or finance your house? Or is it just like, hey, do you want to sell your house? What's your first message to them? Yeah, we use very generic messaging because we don't know what situation their house is going to be in, you know, whether they got enough equity for a cash deal or not, or if it's a terms deal. So we just say, you know, we'll buy your house and we'll still even use, you know, all the, the standard terminology, cash for houses, that sort of thing. And, you know, people have asked me in the past, well, if you're advertising cash for houses, but you really want terms deals, is there some sort of mismatch there? But no. I mean, the whole point of the ad is just to get them to respond. Exactly. And then you figure out which way the deal wants to go from that point. Yeah. Because, you know, you you know how to do a traditional wholesaling deal. And there yeah. may not, lease option may not even be in the cards. But so then you can still offer them a cash offer. Yes. Like personally for me, I don't like doing lease options on junker properties, on the lower end right. properties, right? Right. For a lot of reasons. I've talked about it a lot before. But so you would offer a cash offer with a lower end, cheaper property, right? Um, yeah. So yeah. Blair, do you, when you're talking to sellers, do you give them multiple option offers or do you, do you try to first figure out what they need and then make them just one offer? How do you typically structure that? Yeah. So typically we, we kind of look at it as we're the doctor, they're coming to us with their symptoms. And then we basically prescribe one solution that we think would work best for them, number one, and for us, number two. You know, it's got to be a win-win, of course. Uh, and then if that doesn't work, then, okay, well, we could do it this other way. You know, we got to, but once you present them with that first option you, and they say, no, you got to find out exactly what their issue is with that, where we can address that issue. Because it may be something very simple and we could stay with that same type of offer, a terms offer. But if it's something where they don't want to leave the mortgage in their name or whatever, okay, now we can switch over to a cash offer or vice versa, however, which way it goes. Nice. Now, Blair, I want to ask you about how you make your offers. Um, can you walk through mm -hmm. how you make a cash offer, how you make a lease option offer? And do you ever do, um, you know, I think Ron calls them the axe deals. Do you ever do those mm -hmm. or lease option assignments? So how, first of all, how do you make your cash offers when you're talking to sellers? Yeah, so every seller lead that comes in gets an opening call or a discovery call, diagnostic call, some people call it. And then a closing call with the acquisitionist. And uh, in the beginning, of course, I was the acquisitionist, but I had my uh, VA do the opening call, the pre-screening call. Uh, now I've got a full-time acquisitionist, so she handles all those calls and everything. But we basically, that 15-minute closing call with the seller is where we essentially, you know, for lack of a better way to put it, we ask them questions in order to get them to make an offer to us instead of us making an offer to them. So we might... You know, if it's uh, if it's a cash deal, we you know really I mean up there to negotiate other than the price, and so we ask them what's you know what's your asking price, what's the least you could take for the property, whatever the number they say is that the best you can do, and then like you know we use silence as a weapon at that point. It's like just shut up. They say a number, just don't say anything. They might pipe in again, and if they don't, then you say you know something like. You know, so you're saying if I don't pay you X, you'd rather not sell the property. And so we're trying to get them to negotiate against themselves as much as possible. I find that whatever numbers the seller and I agree to, it's got to be their idea. You know what I mean? Like they're making an offer to me and I'm telling them whether I could do that. I can make those numbers work or not. Um, there's a, uh, a book by Chris Voss called Never Split the Difference. Are oh, you on that book? Love that yes. book. Really good book. Yeah. Yeah. My my biggest takeaway from that was where he, he talks about 
negotiation is the art of letting the other person have your way. Yeah. And I think that's so important. And that's, that's how we deal with sellers. That's how we make offers. We let them make the offer to us. So good. Like, you know, how you approach the sellers is so important. Um, I like to say, don't try to sell the lease option concept to them, right? They need to sell you on their house because when I got started, I was trying to pitch all the benefits of a lease option because that's the only thing I was doing. I was only doing lease options. I wasn't making cash offers. And I just found myself digging myself into a big, big hole because I talk so much. And I would be, once I learned to stop and just ask questions, and I would start conversations sometimes with, hey, great, you know, do you mind if I ask you a few questions about your house to see if it would be something I'd be interested in? I'm looking for a nice house in a nice neighborhood. Do you have a nice house? Is it a nice neighborhood? What's, what's what kind of shape is it in? Um, yeah. And I've even changed that to where sometimes I'll say like, um, hey, do you mind if I ask you a few questions to see if we can do business today, right? Being the reluctant buyer, getting them to tell, sell you on their house, why you should buy their house makes all the difference in the world, right? So I love that. Now, Blair, so if they, you know, you, you figure out after talking to them, you know, like, yeah, I don't want, they can't do a lease option or owner financing or subject to or whatever. They need to have a cash offer. They give you a number that's, you know, close to your ballpark range, but how do you actually calculate the cash offer you actually do make to them after they've told you what they would take? Yeah. You know, I guess we, I do it a little bit differently then. So if we're on the phone with them and they give me, they tell me the, their asking price and I can see that there's at least a decent spread, a reasonable spread between their asking price and what I think just rough ballpark the ARV would be. Now I know this is a prospect on the phone. I'm going to go ahead and set up a deal meeting to go out to the house, start the paperwork and, you know, really kind of, you know, write in the actual purchase price. And when I get to the house, my only goal is just to sign it up at as low of a price as I can get it. And whatever that price may be, I'm going to put it out to my buyer's list with my, you know, markup in it. And I'm going to let my buyers or the market oh. tell me if that's a good price or not. So Great I'm not advice. over here, sitting, you know, calculating ARV and, you know, getting pencil and calculator and spreadsheet out for repair costs. I'm not doing any of that. I'm, I'm really just finding these deals and then bringing them to my buyers. Does that make sense? Oh, totally. Yeah, because you're the buyers will tell you what the house is worth. They don't, and yeah. they don't care what you think the ARV is or what you think the repairs are or what you think That's the right. rent is. They will tell you whether yeah. it's a good deal or not. Whether you're doing a lease option and you're looking for tenant buyers or cash buyers, they'll tell you if it's a good deal or not. And then people are going to say, "Well, Blair, what if you're wrong? What if the, well, what do you do then?" Well, then you either renegotiate or cancel if you have to. Not but, a big deal. But there's always a deal after the deal with the seller. As long as you're dealing with the, the seller directly and not through an agent or a bank or something else, you can renegotiate that anytime you and the seller agree. Nice. Excellent. So you're you're going on appointments. You're going to the seller's house, right? Well, I should be clear. I no longer do all of that. My acquisitionist does. But when I started out, yes, that was all me. I was the acquisitionist doing the closing call by phone and then go out on the appointments. If it looked like we had a deal, you know, I, I, my preference was always to get the deal. I don't know, maybe 70, 80% of the way there on the phone before I go out to the house. And that helped me save a lot of time instead of just running out to unqualified prospects. Nice. And then what, what market are you in? What city? Uh, I actually live in Mooresville, North Carolina, which is just North of Charlotte. And so I buy houses in Charlotte, North Carolina, 
And then we've got a couple of remote markets where we've got, you know, some friends and family and I'm like trying to help them buy a house the smart way. So we, we do some deals over there as well. Now let's say you talk to the seller, cash offer is not going to work. It's a nice, pretty house. Um, and you're going to then just try to do a lease option on it. Or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I guess you, again, you, you're looking at it more like you may not offer. Well, okay. Maybe explain the difference of when you would, would do a sandwich lease option versus a subject to um, when do you always try to like take the deed or do you, do you do a sandwich lease option if you can't take the deed? Is that what's your philosophy on that? Blair? Yeah. My preference is to get the deed. And I, I've read a lot of uh, what you you've talked about in your uh, experience and how you used to have that mentality, getting the deed all the time. And now maybe you've kind of switched your stance on that or no. Yeah, for me personally, I used to do a lot of subject twos. And when the market crashed, I got burnt really, really bad. Now, I never missed a seller's mortgage payment. I got really late a lot of times. Like it was day 29, hour 24 or 23, you know. And um, yeah. But I, I did not like that feeling of being obligated to make a mortgage payment if I had yeah. a vacancies and whatnot. So I prefer personally, I prefer sandwich lease options because – I can control the property without owning it. I, I think it was Rockefeller who said the secret to wealth is to own nothing and control everything. Um, now there is a place for subject twos, so I'm not knocking them. And some people prefer right. subject twos, um, especially in states like Texas, when you can't really do sandwich lease options. Yeah. You know, but um, right. so what's your philosophy on that? Yeah, my my preference is to get the deed, and primarily because I want to be in total 100% control. The only time, actually, I can only think of one time I've had to, you know, quote unquote, downsell or switch over to doing a sandwich lease. And that was because for some reason, the seller got kind of antsy about letting title transfer uh, before they were paid off in full. So to save the deal, I said, well, why don't I just lease the house from you and buy it in a couple of years? Okay. So we just turn that in sandwich lease option. Uh, but so, you know, I haven't been through the whole downturn like you have when I was, you know, back in the downturn, I was still doing just wholesale deals. Yeah. Uh, 08, 09. So, you know, you've probably got more experience in that than I do. Well, maybe. And I made a lot of stupid mistakes. <laughs> it wasn't because I was smart. And, uh, but I mean, anyway, so um, you, you all got to be careful. Even if you're doing sandwich lease options, like you could still get hurt when the market falls. You got to make sure you have reserves. Yeah. You need to make sure that the numbers work. Like you got to make sure the property's cash flow. You know, the other thing I I I, I had a, a problem with, and it was more mental than anything, was convincing the seller to sign the deed over to me while the mortgage stayed in their name. And um, I just had a hard time for some reason c- trying to convince the seller of that. And it was more just the mentality mindset of yeah. in here, right? But what have you done yeah. to kind of overcome that mind block? Does that make sense? Well. Yeah, yeah, and my I was just thinking as you were saying that is because you're a realtor. You've got realtor brainwashing going on. <laughs> I'm just giving you a hard time, man. Well, it's true. So, uh, Although I'm an investor first, realtor second. There you go. I know what you're saying. There okay. you go. But uh yeah, no my whole thing is you know, if I'm going to solve this huge problem in the seller's life, I need to make it work for me too. And my preference as I was just saying is, you know, I want to be in 100% control now and forevermore on that deal. So if for whatever reason, the house maybe one day needed some work and I, I wanted to put some money into it, 
you know, I don't want to put money into a house that I don't hold title to. So if I'm just leasing it from the seller, I wouldn't want to put any money into it. So, but if I've got the deed, now I've got that option, not saying I would, you know, need to do that, but now I've got more options, I guess is, is the, okay. the big point. Okay. Yeah. Um, talk about how you structure your offers. What do the numbers have to look like for it to be a good creative financing deal for you? Yeah. So I'm looking for, I mean, my bare minimum criteria is at or below market value. I mean, the more equity we can get, the better, of course. So the lower the price, the better. Uh, I need a monthly payment that gives me at least, I mean, uh, you know, depends on the deal, at least 100, 200, 300 bucks a month spread. More is always better, of course. And then, you know, we typically set these things up with an indefinite payoff term. You know, if we're buying sub two, there's no time limit on when I got to have that thing cashed out. And so that's my preference. But, you know, I would even break even on a deal on the monthly if I knew I was getting a big equity spread, you know what I mean? So in like, if I had a buyer lined up that was, you know, wanting to give me 30, $40,000 on a deal, but I'm going to break even on the monthly, I'd do that deal all day long. You know huh. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait, yeah. man. You got it. You got to have the cash flow, but I can, I'll agree with you yeah. to disagree on that. Um, the cash flow is important, but it, you know, if yeah. you got a lot of equity in a deal, it's hard to turn that down. Um, you just yeah. got to be prepared for not if, but when there's vacancies on that house, are you going to be able to cover that nut every month? Yeah. So you're okay then with a little bit of equity cash flow or a lot of equity, no cash flow. But you, the key to do it, I think that what I didn't do back then, I always had like a five year balloon where I had, I promised to refinance them out in five years, but you're saying you don't even have that in there. You, you try not to do any kind of uh, balloon or refinance limit in your deals, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if we owe the seller any equity after we buy it, we just give them a, a seller carry back with no payments, no interest and no balloon on that. But we make it due on sale so that whenever we cash out of the property, they are secured against the property to get their equity out at whatever point in time that is. Promise okay. them anything. You know, we don't, we don't want to make them any promises that we can't keep, you know, so we so can sleep they, better at night. If they have some equity in the house, you'll give them a promissory note and record mm -hmm. that against the property so that when you do sell it, um, they will get their equity out of it, whatever you negotiated that. That's right. That's so, right. you know, when I was doing these subject twos, um, I would try to get at least – 15% equity in the deal. So if it's worth just simple round numbers, a hundred grand, I would try to get the loan balance to be at least 85 grand or, you know, let's say they owed 70. So I would give them a, but I had to be in at 85. I would give the seller a $15,000 second prompt, second position note. With mm -hmm. But then the cool thing is who gets that principal pay down, right? You do, yeah. the investor does, right? So yeah. if you, if you hold that mm -hmm. thing for 10, 15, 20 years, you know, that thing, you're going to have a lot more equity and profit in that deal. And you've had somebody else making yeah. your mortgage payments for you, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And that's why if, if I can get in a long time to pay them off or an indefinite amount of time to pay them off, I don't mind paying the higher price if I can get longer time. So it kind of works in tandem like that. Higher price, longer term for me and vice versa. Okay. Cool. Now, when you are average, you, you get a house under contract, you now own it or you control it. 
Now you turn around and you advertise it. Are you advertising it as a lease option for a tenant buyer? Are you advertising it with uh, like a wraparound owner financing kind of land contract thing? What are you doing there? Yeah. Yeah. So we, we put all our stuff out as lease options and that's primarily because here in North Carolina, it is, you know, you want to look at how long does it take you to get the house back in case the, the tenant buyer defaults. And so whatever uh, debt instrument or paperwork allows you to get it back the fastest in your state, that's the one you should use. In North Carolina here, they actually have a specific statute pertaining just to lease options. Yeah, I've seen which that. Which I prefer because now all we got to do is follow the letter of yeah. the law. Yeah. And nobody can say anything. You know what I mean? And it's, so it's actually, it's I've read the... I've read the law and it's actually really good. I mean, you have to, um, they require you to re to record the op. If somebody has a lease option, you're required to record the option, right? Are you required? Like, is there something to do with, you have to prove the mortgage is current every month or something like that to the tenant buyer? No. no? What else? What, what? Cause I've had a lot of people ask me about that. And in my lease options course, I just refer them to the page from, from the website of North Carolina and it spells it out really clearly in there, like what you have to include yeah. in your contract and gives you the specific paragraphs and stuff. But can you just summarize that? What What is it in North Carolina that's unique to the lease options? Yeah, the main thing is you have to, there are specifics that have to be included in the lease and option agreement. For example, you have to have in 14 point bold yeah. font right above the signature line, the right of rescission, the three-day right of rescission thing. Yeah, yeah. The option, the memorandum of option has to be recorded within five days of signing and, you know, all this other stuff. And the penalties, if you don't follow the rules very, very specifically, are kind of onerous. It's like treble damages and all this stuff. So that's why, I mean, I always tell everybody, get an attorney to do these things for you. So you can make sure they're done right, all the paperwork's done right and above board, but you know, other than that, the, the other main thing is uh, what happens when a tenant buyer defaults. We have to give them a 30-day uh, right to cure. So we send them a notice by certified mail if they are in default on their lease. And if they don't bring it current within that 30 days, now we have the option then to go to a judge and get the option canceled if we wanted to. Typically, we don't because they'll eventually get caught up anyway. But if they don't, then we just evict them and just get the paperwork yeah. all canceled out like that. You know, which is what we did anyway before. I mean, that's what I, yeah. that's what I always did yeah. anyway. I, I always personally for my deals where I have tenant buyers in them, I'm always trying to work with them um, and, and give them more time. If at the end of the yeah. two-year lease option agreement, if they still can't get a mortgage, if they've been paying their rent on time, I'm going to give them more time to get a mortgage. I'm not going to yeah. kick them out and just try to get – the next person in there. Uh, that's not the goal. Right. <laughs> Some people teach, I'm not going to name names, like, I hope they don't buy it so that I can get somebody else in there and get more option deposit money. But that's not what I do. That's what I know. I don't teach that. Yeah. I don't recommend that. We'll just leave it at yeah. that. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I, I'm with you, man. If they're making okay. the payments, they're take, you know taking care of the house, you know, they can stay in there as long as they want. Yeah. Very good. Um, so 
the uh, I wanted to ask you about marketing. So let's let's cycle back mm-hmm. to marketing. Kind of started there. What are you seeing working right now for you and you, you know some of the people that you're helping with marketing? What's working well for them, especially on more on these more creative deals, right? Because you're targeting nicer. Mm-hmm. That's what I wanted to ask you. You're targeting yeah. nice homes in nice areas, right? So what is a nice home for you? And then we'll talk about marketing. Well, yeah. So in Winston Salem, our median price is about 150, and down in Charlotte's about 250. So anywhere north of the median, you know, it's typically a nicer home. Of course, you can have some big expensive houses that need a lot of work, but, you know, that's another story. But um, so that's what we're looking at. And, you know, right now it seems about half our deals are coming from our virtual assistant making outbound calls and text messages to for sale by owner, for rent by owner and expired listings. Uh, and then the other half of our deals either come through our website just organically or we actually do run Facebook lead ads. Uh, if you're familiar with those, the form yeah. pops up right on Facebook. And so they just get them in and, and we just get them on the phone. Like the whole point is to get the seller on the phone as quickly as possible. Excellent. What kind of things do you use to get the deals 70 to 80% of the way there before viewing the home? What are you looking for before you make the appointment to actually go out there, Blair? Yeah, you know, that's that's the closing call. So we use our, our scripting on the closing call, talking to the seller to uh, get them to essentially make an offer to us. So we're asking, what's the least you could take for the property? Okay, what's the least you could take on the monthly payment? You know, or if they've got a mortgage. So I assume you're okay if we just cover your payment. Uh, what, how long could you give us to pay you off? You know, I assume you'll sell with nothing down. You know, all those sorts of things. And we get good answers on all that, then we're going to the house. Yeah. And, and all the, you know, good answers defined by what we were talking about earlier, the deal criteria. Like if they're not just, ridiculous on the price and if i can get a monthly spread on the cash flow and the time to pay them off you know is minimum three years you know then we'll go out to the house and sign it up good excellent what do you think about dodd frank yeah i personally am not worried about it because i'm all my exits are lease options so i'm selling with seller financing but I have uh, a lot of clients who are in Texas and they don't want to sell on a lease option. They want to sell with owner financing. And so the only difference is they got to get an RMLO involved just to sign off on the deal. A licensed loan yeah. originator, right? Yeah. Yeah. Somebody in, and you know, the whole point is you want there to be some third party who set, who takes a look at the buyer's situation and says, yes, they have the ability to repay. No, Mr. Investor, you are not setting them up to fail, right? And that's the whole point. You know, we, we don't want to set anybody up for failure. Otherwise, we get into that realm you were talking about earlier that we don't even go to where we just, we're trying to just collect option fees and kick them out. No, we don't do any of that. Yeah, very good. What are some of the systems you're using, Blair? What do you guys, do you keep it simple? Or are you, are you a system techie type of a guy that wants the latest and greatest software yeah, and, yeah. and stuff? Yeah, you know, I like to say that I'm very simple. We use Mojo as our primary hub uh, for the dialer and for the CRM. Oh, cool. We used to use Podio. We used some other stuff. We were trying to melt it all together, and now we just use Mojo to keep it simple. Now, having said that, I've got about 150 Zapier Zaps working in the background, so it's not exactly simple. <laughs> you know what I mean? But yeah. I try to keep it simple. That's the idea anyway. Well, you should take a look at REI Simple. That's the reason why I called it yeah. REI Simple is because it is. There it's you go. RCRM, we love it. 
Um, okay, so wanted to ask you about, um, can you uh, give us an example deal you've done in the last few months that um, might just be a good lesson, object lesson for, for folks? How did you find the yeah. deal? Um, what was the seller situation? What were some of the numbers? Yeah, so this was, you know, and I sometimes I hesitate to share this deal because it's sort of a home run deal. They're not all like this. You know, you get the singles, doubles, triples in between the home runs, but yeah. the home runs are fun to talk about because they're exciting. Oh, and, and I, I love, love talking about you know, home runs. Yeah, Cardinals yeah. have been having so, a lot of them lately. There you go. Yeah, it seems like, you know, the more singles you get, the more home runs you get, right? Yeah. <laughs> the more at-bats you get. Yeah. But yeah. Um, so, uh, let's see, a couple months ago, this seller lead came in, I think it was an expired listing, and our VA called them up ran the opening call and then handed them over for a closing call with our acquisitionist. And this particular seller, the house was probably worth 430,000 tops ARV. It was in great condition, beautiful house, beautiful neighborhood. The seller wanted 413,000. I don't know how he came up with that number, but that's what he wanted. And he owned it free and clear. So we were able to negotiate an extremely low monthly payment with him. So we paid 12 or we are paying $1,200 a month principal only. Wow. We're paying taxes and insurance on that. So we took title and obviously there's no loan on the property. So it wasn't a subject to deal straight owner finance. Right. Nice. And then the only other thing with the seller is we, uh, we agreed to a $5,000 down payment. So we actually wanted to line up our buyer before we closed on that one because we were kind of iffy on the actual price. So, but then we put it out at 449.9. So about, call it 450. So we're in at 413, and our price 450 on a lease option. And I want to say about 60 to 90 days later, a buyer came along who wanted to rent the house, and they said, and we asked them, "What if we could help you buy this house?" They're like, "Oh yeah, that sounds great." Turns out they were self-employed. They had their own trucking company, couldn't get a loan with a traditional mortgage company, but they had piles of cash because they're in business and they're doing well. So we got a $45,000 option fee from them and $2,000 a month, which was still low for the house, in my opinion. But I was happy to get 45 in, pay five out to the seller. So now I keep 40 on the front end. I've got a five to $700 a month spread. And I've got a little bit of back end, depending on how long they go, you know, because I'm paying $1,200 a month towards principal with the seller. So if they went, you know, 24 months, 30 months, I'd have that much pay down and that much back end in there. Um, So that was a home run for us. So like 40 grand on the front end, plus the cash flow, and we still own the house and we're getting all the benefits of the depreciation and everything else. Now, since that deal has happened, sadly enough, and unfortunately enough, that buyer, something happened with their business. Like they went out of business, like within the first few months of getting into this house. And they really didn't even call us. They just moved to Florida and left the house in pristine condition. Really? Didn't ask for any of their money back. I think, you know, like, again, I'm like, I kind of feel bad for them. And I, and we've tried to reach out to them, try to give them some of their money back in exchange for them signing some termination documents, that sort of thing. But they've already left the house, moved to Florida. We can't get a hold of them. It's like, you wow. know, I walk away from was down payment. So anyway, so now we've got that one back on the market and, but you know, we're already 40 grand to the good on that, mm-hmm. on that deal. So, you know, whatever we get now is just gravy. What, what's, how long do you have it under contract with the seller? 
Yeah. So that particular seller, you know, normally, well, I said before, normally we just set it up on long terms. This guy wanted to get paid off in three years. So we got a three year balloon on him. Okay. But fortunately with that guy, he is, he seems pretty flexible. And I think if we got to the end of that three year term and our buyer wasn't ready to cash us out, we could go to him and say, Hey, why don't we extend this? I'll give you another five grand. We could extend this another five years or whatever. He'd be like, all right, whatever. You know, these people, and this is what's interesting, very instructive, is this this seller was not like a super motivated, desperate seller. He was just tired of dealing with the house. He didn't need the money. You know, he didn't have a mortgage on the house. He didn't need debt relief. He just wanted it to be off his plate. And so we took it off his plate and negotiated a low monthly payment. And now he doesn't have to worry about it. And that's all he wanted. Yeah. As long as he can get his price eventually, he's happy. And the cool thing, too, about these creative financing deals, right? Like if after three years, you... Ke- he doesn't want to renegotiate. You can just give him the house back, right? Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. Cool. No risk. Um, what are you finding working best now for buyers? Yeah, so the two main sources of buyer leads for us are paid ads on Facebook mm. and then pointer signs in the area. Yep. Uh, we'll put 15 to 20 pointer signs out in the neighborhood. And they call in and we use Pat Live. They call in, they got a script and they, you know, screen them. And then we get, I set up an alert on Boxer for my team. And so ever a buyer lead comes in, that's got some money, we get an alert and we get on the phone and talk to them and get them out to the house. Nice. Very cool. And because they're all local, uh, you have a, do you have a, like a dispositions manager that helps you sell these things or do you work with local realtors? What do you do? Actually, I let my acquisitions handle the dispositions as well. Okay. So, I mean, I've just got a small team. I've got an acquisitionist in Winston-Salem and then one down in Charlotte. And then I've got a full-time VA. It's just the four of us doing deals. Cool. All right. And uh, do you yeah. mind sharing just approximately maybe how do you structure the payment? How do you pay these guys? Is it a percentage of the deal yeah. or a flat fee or what is it? Yeah. So one of the acquisitions, uh, she handles all of the admin work for the business as well. And so because of that, I pay her just a $600 a week salary for all that stuff. And then any deals that she brings in, she'll get 20% of the front end profit up to $3,000 per deal. So we cap her commission or her bonus uh, because she's getting that weekly salary. Now, the other guy is down in Charlotte. He's not getting a weekly salary. He's just getting 20% of the front end, but with no cap. Okay. So, you know, on that $40,000 thing, he made eight grand off of that deal. You know what I mean? Nice. Very cool. What would be some advice, Blair, somebody who's new to the business and uh, they like this idea, you know, maybe they've been studying wholesaling and they're, but they're getting frustrated maybe with too much competition, too many sellers Mm -hmm. saying no to their offers and they know they could do something with these leads that they're throwing away, but they just don't know where to start. What kind of advice would you give to somebody in that, in those shoes? Yeah. Send all those leads over to me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Somebody knows what they're doing. No, uh, you know, it, it's, it's kind of one of those things where if ever you want to start doing something that you haven't done before, you got to find somebody who's already doing that and just, you know, ask them, okay, how do I need to do this? You know, and that could be, you know, a mentor like you or me or anybody else, but somebody who's got some experience doing it, whether they're a virtual mentor or direct mentor and that sort of thing. But, uh, you know, now I forget the question or where I was going with that. Well, but. <laughs> advice you'd give to somebody new getting started. And one of them, I agree, would be get yeah. a mentor, right? Somebody that can help you hold yeah. your hand and help you not make mistakes, partner with you on deals. Yeah, that's really yeah. good advice. 
Yeah. And, you know, one of the things is, uh, and I think it was Sandler sales training that said this, it's like, you can't learn to ride a bike in a seminar. So yes. like you can go through all the trainings you want and you're only ever going to get 90% of the way there. If that you got to just go out there and start doing it. And, you know, the way you get good at anything is first, you got to really suck at it. And hopefully a mentor can help you skip some of that, you know, suck this part. But, uh, you know, good. the faster you can get through that, the, the faster you can get to getting really good at doing these deals. Excellent. How do you pitch the sandwich lease option to a seller who's asking what's in it for them to sell the house 15% below market value? I don't think that can apply to any type of deal you're doing. Like, and I really like what you said, Blair, you, you get the seller to come up with the offer, right? Sometimes I'll just say, you know, I understand this is your situation. What would you like to see happen? What would you like to see happen? What do you think we, where do, where should we go from here? Right. That's a great question to ask. Where do you think we should go from here? Another thing I like to say is, uh, um, oh, I just, just get my mind, but you're just probing, you know, saying, Hey, well, you know, if, if I could fix that problem, what would you want to do then? Uh, what if I could get you that price that you need? Would you be willing to wait for it for a little bit? Right. And then just by asking the questions, right. So, uh, and, and one more thing I'll say to this too, if the seller is motivated, it's not a big deal. What happens? We had a seller the other day. This is about a, two weeks ago. She bought the house four months earlier. She bought the house four months earlier and she was wanting to sell it because she was just going through a divorce. I mean, tragic, sad story, right? You know what she said? I don't care how long you lease option this thing. I just want to get out from under it, right? She didn't care how long. She was super motivated. She'd only been in there four months. So if a seller's motivated, would you agree, Blair? Like subject to lease options, they don't care. They don't care. Uh, they just need to get that monthly payment monkey off of their back, right? Yes. They just want to be done with it so they can be free and just move on with their life. That's all it's about for them. So many people ask these what if, I'm not going to knock this question, but a lot of people are just beginning, ask too many what if questions. Like what if they say this? Why would they want to say, take that? That doesn't make any sense. But you know what? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. It's just like, why would that guy, and I talk, I use this analogy a lot. You know, they go and they buy a $5,000 treadmill and they get, they get up there, don't they? They get expensive. It just sits in the, you know, in the basement, collects laundry. You know, are you those? I'm one of like, that just collects clothes. And, uh, and every time they walk by it, it reminds them of how fat they are. Their wife is always ticked at them for buying that thing and just letting it sit there and not using it. And they have a garage sale and they're just like, I'm so sick of this treadmill. I want to get rid of it. And they sell it for a hundred bucks. Like why in their right mind would anybody rationally sell a treadmill? They paid five grand for, for a hundred dollars. The pain is great enough. The pain is there. That's why motivated sellers will do this thing. And we're not that we're taking advantage of them. They're glad you're taking this property. They're glad you're buying this treadmill for a hundred dollars. So they don't have to put it in their little Toyota Prius to the dumpster because they don't know how that, you know, they're like, how are they making, am I even going to get rid of this thing? They have no idea. So yeah, don't overthink this. Yeah. Don't overthink I'm with this. you. My, my answer to that question, why would somebody do this? My answer is usually just very simple. I don't know why, but they do. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Absolutely. That's all it is. Cool. So what's your advice, Blair, to people who are looking for a mentor? How do they find them? 
Yeah, I mean, you can find them locally. Go to Urea, uh, or you can find them virtually online. Uh, the main thing that I would look for is, are they still doing deals? Right? You don't want somebody who is not doing deals anymore and they're just mentoring and teaching. you got to have somebody who's actually still in the trenches. I think that's important. Do you do any coaching, mentoring yourself, Blair? I do. So that we converted the DealBot marketing service into a show you how to do it. And, and it's focused primarily on getting leads in, but also how to convert those leads into deals and how to set up all the uh, systems and everything else. So Very cool. Yeah, how can people get a hold of you, Blair? Yeah, just go to BlairHalver.com and uh, you'll see our webinar on there, how to consistently do five or more deals a month without wholesaling, rehabbing, chasing deals, or working 80 hours a week. So that's my uh, shtick and you guys can check it out. I'm put. I'm typing this in here. Yeah, BlairHalver.com. There it is. Cool. And if you're yeah, interested yeah. In, in working with yours truly, just go to JoeMcCall.com mm -hmm. slash apply. On that page, I think we have a case study of some deals that we're doing uh, right now and how we're doing that. So cool. Thanks for any final words of advice, Blair, to somebody who's listening to this. You know, I, something I wanted to say earlier when you mentioned your uh, simple lease options course, I've been through that course and it's an excellent course. I'd recommend that for anybody. So definitely nice. check that out. Thank yeah, you. no, uh, seriously, seriously. Uh, I appreciate that. say that with all integrity. <laughs> it's the best lease option course out there. It might be the only one too. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, Sloclass.com. There are a few other guys that teach it, but like I love lease options, the simplicity of them, the ability to mm -hmm. um, give sellers different choices and not just get one out of every 40 offers accepted, but getting one out of 20 or getting three out of 40 accepted because now you can give them different things. So go to Sloclass.com, Sloclass.com. Um, you can get the show notes at um, realestateinvestingmastery.com or reimpodcast.com because uh, we transcribe all of these episodes that we do and uh, you can download, listen to the uh, audios of them, read them as well if you want. And uh, good. I think this is it. Hey, thanks a lot, Blair. Appreciate it. Guys, yeah. again, don't if you want to get more information about Blair, go to BlairHalver.com, B-L-A-I-R-H-A-L-V-E-R. Go check him out. And um, this is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Show. And guess what? My book, again, if you missed the beginning of this podcast, my new book, it just came out. Go to reisecrets.com. Thanks, guys. We'll see you later. Thanks, Blair. Appreciate you being on the show, man. Yeah, thanks a lot, Joe. Bye-bye.